We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. NFL podcast. It is Thursday, December 10th. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. It is week 14 of the NFL season, so we are really into the home stretch. Fantasy playoffs are starting across home leagues and high stakes leagues alike everywhere across the country, across the globe. So, big, big week ahead of us that we got to get to. But, Mario, first of all, uh, I'm I'm keeping it sports adjacent here, but I, I got to tell you about a show that I watched on uh, on Netflix yesterday. Uh, what is it? Uh, it's called We Are the Champions, and it's basically like a, the, these like kind of well made mini documentaries about like really niche, almost like ESPN eight the Ocho type of sporting events. Like there's one about the cheese rolling. Uh, down the hill in England and people chasing it and <laughs> like oh get breaking their collarbone. So yeah, no, that one's great. But the one I watched last night um, was professional yo-yoing. And Ooh, was, I used to do that. Yeah, not really, but uh, it was in anybody in uh, my age range from Wausau, Wisconsin, can can testify to this. 
But for some reason, back in like 1998 and 1999, only those two years though, but in those two years, in Owasso, Wisconsin, there was this huge yo-yo fad. Nice. Uh, it was like yo-yos preceded Pokemon cards and uh, and Pokemon, I think, actually. I can't remember. Maybe the yo-yos came at the same time as Pokemon. I can't remember. But it was one of those things you show up to school – Everybody's got yo-yos. You just you show up one day, there's 50 yo-yos on the playground. You're like, what the hell? And you know, you can't be a lame. No. You have to you have to get a yo-yo fast, and you know, you have to learn what everybody's got yo-yos for for whatever reason today. And yeah, it quickly escalated, and um, there was like a yo-yos arm race throughout mm-hmm. the t- arms race, kind of throughout the school, where it's like everybody's got to get the new the ball bearings. That's what you got to get the the ball bearing yo-yos with the you got to get the oil. You got to learn how to put them together, and you can do the triangle trick. You can do shoot the moon. You can uh, spin the yo-yo, take it off of your finger, and let it shoot across the room like a wheel. Um, these were all tricks that we considered in the yo-yo competitions. And and you could walk the dog, isn't that walking one? the dog was like the first thing you learned? Yeah. Yes. So yeah. So so you're definitely picking up what I'm putting down and. Uh, it, the the actual like footage of the competition yo-yoing it was was impressive it hilarious but but impressive nonetheless i mean these people like practice so much for it and like that there's one guy that was one of the main characters and he's like this yo-yo wunderkind who has won the world championship like 2 years running and he's he's like 19 or 20 and he's like this is my last one. Like I- I'm walking away from the yo-yo game, and like he writes, he writes his uh, final routine uh, with a song that he made that is the worst song of all time, um, called "My Last Stand." As it as it plays while he yo-yos for the last time in competition, as if he's not going to come back to it in like a year or two when whatever else he wants to do, his music career doesn't pan out. Was the but, song like a, a Dragon Ball Z uh, fight song? It had it had strong Dragon Ball Z vibe. Fight yeah. vibe. Well, that yes. sounds pretty cool. We didn't do the songs for ours. We just, uh, yeah, we we did our probably not so great tricks, and the winner would get like a twenty five dollar gift card, which was a lot of money when you're in fifth grade. That's a, um, that's a nice yo yo at the very least. Oh yeah, these yo-yos were like a hundred dollars, but and like I can imagine that these these high-level yo-yo competitions are actually like really dangerous for the people doing them because some of those tricks, it's like you're really throwing things around. Uh, like I, th- I think I hit myself in the face a few times as a kid doing the uh, whatever it's called. Um, yeah, it's 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 surprisingly fun. Yo-yos are actually pretty cool. I still believe that. Absolutely. So you should you should definitely check check out that episode of, of the We yeah. Are the, the Champions. That's a that's our free plug for for Netflix as We Are the Champions, but uh, a plug nonetheless because that really the if you get to that part with the with the song at the end that that makes the whole thing worth it but the whole thing I'm going to just go to the good. song if that's okay. Yeah, that's totally fine. It, it, please report back though what once you do. But let's go ahead and jump in onto the week 14 slate. Uh, let's kick things off with the Thursday game. We got a rematch of the Super Bowl from a couple of years ago. These teams look very, very different, however. Uh, we got the Rams hosting the Patriots. Rams four-and-a-half-point favorites in this one. The The number has come down a little bit over the course of this week. Uh, it opened at Rams minus six-and-a-half, down to minus four-and-a-half, it looks like, over on the Rotowire betting page. I mean, the Patriots, they're coming off such a emphatic win, but it had so much to do with Belichick just being a better coach than Anthony Lynn that, that yeah. like, I don't know how much you can really, like, the, the Chargers are, like, the, the type of team that the Patriots would just absolutely dismantle, no, no matter what the talent disparity m- might look like, just, just because they're, they're so much better coached. 
The Rams, I don't think you can get away with that quite the same way. The Rams are quite good. Uh, their, their coaching staff, though, maybe only slightly afraid of McVay or of uh, Belichick. Um, that's still an upgrade over whatever uh, was going on on the Chargers sidelines a week ago. So how do you see this one playing out? And, and then let's get into the, some of the fantasy wrinkles here. Yeah, I don't know how much McVay might have kind of learned and improved more or less from the last time these teams went at it. And I don't know how much the either team resembles the teams at the time to, to make that prior game a useful uh, s- sort of document to look at. But it, it feels to me that uh, last week, like you said, was with, with the Patriots winning 45 to nothing or whatever, that was not really a takeaway kind of game. It was just – or the only takeaway there really is is like if you give Bill Belichick a one-off game plan opportunity against a rookie quarterback – uh, who hasn't seen things like Belichick defenses yet, he can just totally make that quarterback fail the test. Like mm-hmm. you just the, the, there's no way it's it's basically like a pop quiz that the quarterback can't possibly prepare for. And the results kind of looked like you would expect if if that's all the case. So can can the Patriots put Goff in a similar situation as they did Herbert? Like probably not. Like Herbert probably well, the offenses just don't resemble each other generally. And I, I would imagine McVay uh, has by now realized the limitations of Goff and has much of his scheming done specifically to shield him from the kinds of uh, the kinds of risks that Herbert perhaps was not protected from. And it's it's just uh, it's just not one of those things we can apply to this game. But beyond that. Cam Newton has not really thrown against anybody this year except for the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And this Rams defense might be the best pass defense in the league. So if, you know, the Patriots won the last time these teams faced perhaps, but could that have happened if the if the over or under for the, the Patriots passing yardage was like 109 yards? Probably not. So for that reason alone, I feel like the Rams should be able to get a win here even if it's not by a lot i think it'll be i think it could be one of those games where the win is more emphatic than the scoreboard implies and it's like the the degree to which it's close is probably just subject to like how bad Goff can be and i don't know what to make of Goff anymore it's like some some of his matchups he does really well like i'm thinking of some of his 49ers games over the year it's like mcveigh has done pretty good not always but like Going against a good defense is not looks good against the Bucks too, right? Yeah, the Buccaneers game, better example. Uh, so it's like there are ways where Goff can just kind of play well sometimes, and there are ways where the scheme can elevate him sometimes. Sometimes maybe both happen at once, and maybe that's what the Buccaneers game was. But I guess, I guess I just uh, well, I don't know what to make of the the Rams backfield. I guess that's something for fantasy that's really important. Like Cam Akers got all the carries last week, pretty much, but he wasn't that effective. And it wouldn't be that surprising to me if McVay just kind of had a one-week sort of game plan decision that he's not necessarily going to hold to for this one. I don't even know what would be a better approach uh, for the Patriots defense. I can't get a feel for anything about their defense. It's just an amoeba defense aside mm-hmm. from the corners. It's like they got these Adrian Phillips guys rotating in with Juwan Bentley's. It's like a six-man linebacker rotation. I can't follow it. But I guess I just have to believe that the Rams defense can – at least match or maybe over uh, play even better basically than the, the Patriots defense good as it might be. And if that's true, then I feel like the differences in the offenses should have a slight advantage too in the Rams favor. And, and I guess I kind of just defer to those things, but I don't really want to, 
I don't know what to make of the the Rams offense, I guess, because I could imagine McVay having a really good game plan and Stephon Gilmore isn't quite what he used to be. So maybe Cooper Cup and Robert Woods can kind of get things going. You know, these these clever routes of McVay's, maybe that can get them away from the man coverage. Maybe Cooper Cup can just beat a slot corner like Jonathan Jones straight up. I don't really know. Um, but I don't really want to wager on this game, I guess. Okay. All right. That that definitely makes sense. It, it's it's really hard to know, you know, like this point of the year, you should have a really strong read on, on who certain teams are. But the Patriots have been like one of the hardest teams to, to get a beat on. And then from a fantasy perspective with the Rams, like it, it's it continues to really confound everybody as to how that backfield rotation is going to work. And I, I think like the, the answer is always you're going to be wrong. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's it's pretty easy to get wrong, at least. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, I, I guess I think it has to be on the ground. Maybe it's stu- it's not easy early, but maybe they tire them out over the course of the game. Maybe maybe it's Cam Akers. Maybe it's Malcolm Brown. Maybe it's Daryl Henderson. But I I really don't know what basis McVeigh is working on. You know, it's like he put the whole offense on Akers last week and it was only like three weeks ago that he was kind of being a scratch more or less. So we'll see. Maybe something changed. Maybe not. I, I don't know what to do with this game uh, for like showdown slates other than I guess if I'm making one, I'll probably defer to the defenses and run games. And if I'm, if I'm picking a pass catcher, it's just going to be one. It's definitely not going to be two. And I'm probably not taking any quarterbacks, even though uh, Cam of course can run for touchdowns. I'm just skeptical that the Patriots will run for any touchdowns. Yeah, I am too. The, this Rams defense is awesome. They're, they are really well schemed up and, and really talented um, across the board. So, um, I, yeah, I, d- I don't expect the Patriots to put much on the scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, the over-under in this one, just just 44. So that, that goes to show you that this is expected to be a, a rather close defensive battle here on Thursday night. Let's get on over to the Titans going up against the Jags. They had a fun game when they first played each other way earlier in the season. I think that was like back in week two. Uh, now we're checking in. We got the Titans seven-point favorites on the road going up against this Jaguars team. It looks like it's going to continue to be Mike Glennon, and the Titans are obviously you know making their playoff push. They're coming off a game where you know the scoreboard at the end of it kind of lied uh, relative to how that game really panned out against the Browns. So the Titans are right. probably licking their wounds. They, they need to get right in this matchup. I don't know if there's a better spot to do that, especially within your division, uh, than going to face off against the Jaguars. So what, what are you expecting here? Well, I guess we got to see what the status is for A.J. Brown. He didn't practice Wednesday with the ankle thing that he picked up, and he's been playing, I think, through through a knee thing that they've been managing. I don't know what the nature of that there was, like, was. There was like a hip thing last week, too. Yeah, um, so we'll see about him. It's, uh, it's tough. I don't really have a good – I don't have a good sense of how it works if A.J. Brown is injured. Like, for all I know, he could play through injury well. He might – lose his sort of essence by playing injured because he does rely so much on just freakish athleticism ability like maybe if that's dampered he he turns into something that isn't aj brown and isn't as effective uh but i don't know he's a total freak so maybe he can be the kind of guy like julio who doesn't practice and still is is profoundly dangerous on the field the matchup couldn't get much better i mean even if we're even if cj henderson is on the field like this would be a matchup where AJ Brown just would have the advantage. I'd say Corey Davis has the advantage over someone like him, but instead it's going to be Trey Herndon. It might be Sidney Jones. He's been out a couple weeks and he looks good. He might be their nickelback and starting, uh, starting second outside corner opposite Trey Herndon if he can play, but if he can't play, 
I don't even remember the names of these guys, like Chris Claybrooks or something like that. I don't remember who the other Jags corners are, but safe to say they have no business covering receivers like Corey Davis, AJ Brown. Yeah, this is even a lengthy Adam injury list for for uh, for the Jaguars secondary. It's it's all <laughs> injury injury tags next to their names for the most part, outside of like Josiah Scott. Yeah, exactly. And he's, he's like a not that great rookie slot corner. So I think that uh, even Adam Humphreys, I, I know he didn't do anything last week, but he's been super efficient for years. And so he had an inefficient game last week. That almost makes me more sure that he'll be effective in this game. But it's it's also a fair question. Like maybe the Titans won't need to throw the ball. Maybe Humphreys doesn't really play because it's Michael Pruitt out there blocking for Derrick Henry instead of Adam Humphreys running a route. Who knows? Uh, Mike Lennon is so bad. That that Vikings defense was not playing that well in that game. Uh, DJ Chark was getting open. Glennon just can't play, and it's it's rough because uh, he he specifically burned us on his promise to to like air it all out. You yeah, know, like man. He, said, he said he was going to do the Rex Grossman plan, and he turned into a coward the second game back. It's like what are you what are you protecting? You just throw the interception if it's going to be an interception. Don't don't hold on to the ball and check down. What what do you you need air you yardage on your interceptions, dude? Come on. Yeah, well, that and it's it's just uh, what is the point of of going out there to just like meekly fail? Go out exploding, go out on fire. Hell yes! Uh, catapult yourself into the side of a building, like something like that. I don't know, but don't do this thing where you just go out there and you're, you're like a big dumb giraffe who's carrying a football for some reason, like a like a blankie that makes him feel safe and just just gangling around in failure. I hate it. It's 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 a uh, there's no point. And I, I mean, they're doing it to tank. Gardner Minshew is, of course, better than this. So it's frustrating because DJ Chark is really good and he was getting open last week and uh, he, Glennon just wasn't getting it there. But if Glennon is even marginally better than he was last week, then, you know, not not that we can take that for granted, but DJ Chark's going to be wide open again. Like Malcolm Butler cannot run with him even a little bit. Neon Borders, I'm pretty sure he's just doing like a Ross Cockrell corner, uh, uh, like a uh, zone corner kind of thing. I don't think he's a real cover guy. Their, their their slot coverage, to be fair, with Desmond King is pretty good, but he can't run with DJ Chark either. So I think Chark's going to be open, and I don't know what I think as far as whether Glennon can get the ball to him, but he'll be open. Um, yes, I, I absolutely agree agree with that. Um, yeah, it's just a matter of Glennon being able to you know just do some sort of competent uh, facsimile of quarterback play all the, back there. All the Jags receivers, I guess, look good, I should say. As much as I'm talking about Chark, just because I, I just think he's a star and I'd like to see him get kind of like the credit and the opportunity that I think he deserves. But everybody who is a Jags receiver can beat these corners, I think. Like Colin Johnson, I don't want to say he'll keep going, but I don't have any really? reason to think he can't or anything. And Keelan Cole can beat these guys. LaVisca can beat these guys. So they all should be open. And a shootout potential is very much here if Glennon can be – I don't know, like the 25th best quarterback on the slate. That's a, that's all you need. And uh, yeah, especially against the, this Titans defense, we know that it can be taken advantage of. I mean, Baker Mayfield looked, looked great against them a week ago. I, I guess I do want to like touch on on, uh, on Colin Johnson for a second because it feels like every time I see him, and maybe it's it's tied to every time I see him, it, it's uh, you know w- watching highlights from whatever game, but. He looks the part. I mean, he's he's a big yeah. dude. It's like very clear how like how, how large he is out there. I mean, six five, two twenty two. That was obviously the case at Texas as well. But he looks like he can move pretty well for a guy his size. So he's he's oh, unique yeah. for at the very least. Yeah, he can. He's graceful. I think like is the word. He's not really fast. He's not really 
quick or anything, but for someone who he's actually six six two twenty two, which is really skinny. He's he's got um, kind of like a Dan Arnold kind of frame, but actual wide receiver athleticism, so he doesn't need to move to tight end to play f- both fake tight end and fake receiver at the same time. Is he, he what actually, we want Auden Tate to be? Yeah, probably. Okay. I mean, I think Auden Tate could be okay if, if somebody's got him as like the third receiver on their team. But yeah, people who hope for Auden Tate to turn into uh, I don't even know what they think. Like, who's who's this? Who's like the slowest wide receiver of all time to be good? I don't even know who they have in mind. But Colin Johnson isn't slow. He's just kind of not fast. Uh, but you watch him; it's like he he does not move like a six six guy. He moves like he's five eleven. Mm-hmm. Which uh, and by by move, I mean more specifically, kind of like the flexibility of his movements and like. Um, uh, like the quickness, I guess I'm thinking of because he, he just looks graceful. Like he, he runs a route and he looks like he's shorter than he is because a guy who's normally as big as Colin Johnson kind of has to gather themselves when they're doing their breaks. Yeah, they probably, their feet probably slide when they're trying to stop things like that. And that doesn't happen with Johnson, which means he can run routes well. And a six, six guy who can run routes. Well, if, if he's getting like a clean release and he's, he's running like a nice out route, running good sideline routes, that's really tough for a defense to stop. Like you can't just keep a six foot two corner in you know the bottom of the screen, making sure Colin Johnson doesn't do something to. I mean, you can try to do that, but it's it's a uh, it's kind of difficult to stop the deep ball if you're if you're worrying about shutting down Colin Johnson on the sideline. So I think he's going to keep having the opportunities. I don't know what sort of upside he has exactly, but I mean he has 14 targets on his last 91 snaps. Uh, Eight catches for 162 yards isn't exactly efficient. Um, the, 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 we want the catch rate to go up, but I think you can blame that on Glennon more or less, like with the kind of passes he's throwing. DJ Chark, some of these Colin Johnson targets just aren't fair expectations for him catching it. But um, he he was good early in his Texas career. Took a back seat to, uh, to uh, Devin Duvernay last year, and and a little bit of. A couple seasons ago, Lil Jordan Humphrey, mm-hmm. but Colin Johnson was. <laughs> Texas always has this thing going back to uh, like Roy Williams, the wide receiver, where they get these six three, six four receivers, and people hope they're going to be some kind of Megatron. And it's like Lima Swede was one. Colin Johnson, his first two years at Texas, people were doing that thing where they're like, "This guy could be the next Randy Moss," you know. Yeah. And he didn't turn out to quite be that, so people got bored with him. But he was totally a good player, and getting out produced last year by Devin Duvernay isn't like a bad thing especially if DuVernay is a good player, which I think he is. Yeah, no, that, that's a great way to, to sum it up. So I think Colin Johnson, <clears throat> like you said, probably not on like your redo- re- redraft like uh, radar at this stage. The, the targets are probably a little bit too unreliable. But like definitely in Dynasty, you know, if yeah. someone's hanging on, like t- take a second look. Keelan what- Cole is a free agent. So Colin Johnson, if they're, if they're a three-wide base next year, Colin Johnson – has a chance to start if LaVisca Chenault moves into the slot full-time. I love that. And then uh, I think Colin Johnson also probably will be on my DFS radar the, re- the rest of the way. Absolutely. Is, is like that this week. Yes, yeah. there we go. There we have it. Um, let's move on. We got Texans going up against the Bears. Uh, Deshaun Watson traipsing into Chicago. Uh, Chicago famously selected not Deshaun Watson uh, that 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 fateful year. Uh, who, can <laughs> who can remember? Who can remember? Certainly the Bears fans, they, they don't talk about that or anything. But anyway, we got the Texans one-point favorites on the road. 
I hate trusting either of these teams, so I'm probably not going to bet this one. But what are we looking at from a fantasy perspective? Obviously, um, David Montgomery, I think, is, is the first guy we got to talk about because he's you know starting to you know string together a couple of nice outings in a row. Yeah, Montgomery's, I think, the same guy he's ever been. And I, I don't know, for all I know, he was playing a little bit nicked up earlier this year. He came back really quick from that groin injury that we at one point feared would end his season back in August or whatever. So maybe he wasn't quite himself. Maybe he really is a little bit better lately. But I tend to look at these things, these ups and downs more as just us getting invested in weekly outcomes and expectations and then thinking that because they don't meet those expectations that something's changed other than, you know, the, the being subject to just random outcomes. So I, I think Montgomery always had this in him and it was just kind of like we we hoped it would happen sooner, but sometimes things just don't happen on the schedule we want. And it doesn't mean we were truly wrong about the player. And settings like these, settings like his more you know favorable recent opponents are, are where the progression to the mean can happen and and you know a year from now we don't really remember any of this tedious you know trivialities in between we just kind of remember like yeah david montgomery was pretty much david montgomery that year because it tends to even out eventually and i th- i think he still has evening out to do with his his stats this year so I, I think this game makes really good sense for a third good win in a row it would be a disappointment if he doesn't this defense is bad so if he, if he can't have a good game here that would be truly disappointing to me whereas his low points earlier in the year were within the range of possibility going into it i think like there was this was never a star player this is like a baseline player who rides the baseline and when you're the bears you suck most of the time so there's not much opportunity but going against the texans defense maybe the bears aren't aren't going to be non-viable there and maybe as a result david montgomery can just uh, ride that wave as it goes up okay i like that um and then when it when it comes to the other side of this one uh you know the bears have a reputation for being good on defense but i didn't really see it last week uh obviously one one game one week sample within a division that, that doesn't always uh you know apply to everything but still you, you don't expect a, a detroit team that had just cleaned house didn't have deandre swift had matt stafford with a messed up thumb going out there and, and putting up points on the bears you definitely did not see that coming uh the way that it did so does this bode well for for the texans offense and did you have any like big takeaways uh from the the Texans receiving core rotation target distribution with Will Fuller uh, starting his suspension last week. Well, I was hopeful for Kiki QT going into that game, but I was pretty shocked at how well he did. I thought that he would do pretty good because the matchup was tough, more or less. Like I, I thought, I thought QT is a totally good prospect, and I, I had modest expectations that one game because I, I feared the the defense uh, too much, apparently. But I think QT. You know, we don't want to run away with the, the one game sample and, and start thinking things. I assume someone on Twitter has already started something to the effect of is, is Will Fuller just a product of the system oh, or something? No. Is Kiki QT uh, actually as good? Is he the same guy? Is he better? Is he Randy Moss? Um, but it's not really that kind of you shouldn't go with it that far. It's like um, I think Kiki QT can kind of be the sort of receiver that people wanted Deontay Johnson to be in the NFL, which is like a really good wide receiver three or an average wide receiver two. Uh, I think that he should play in this. I think they both belong in the slot more or less because they're, well, QT is actually pretty fast now that I think about it. Deontay Johnson is not, but it's like, they're, they're these quick skinny guys who can run with the ball and they're, they're kind of like, it's kind of like trying to catch a gnat once they do have the ball. But it's, it's uh it's one of those things with QT. It's like he, he fell off the radar just because Bill O'Brien's an idiot 
a jerk imbecile and they had some sort of thing flare up between them. Bill O'Brien liked DeAndre Carter more and signed him to an extension that they've already terminated. Nope. Um, but it, it was like QT was supposed to be the slot guy. He was that rookie year guy, did really good, fourth-round pick out of Texas Tech where he was spectacularly productive even as the youngest player in their receiver rotations and as he's the best athlete to come out of Texas Tech at receiver. He's not a Texas Tech just bum. you know. He's, he's, he's going to be good. And I guess he's, he's kind of perhaps there already. So I like his chances of keeping it going. And in this game – it's actually QT running from the slot who has the easiest matchup here because uh, I know that they had a bad game last week, but I think Kyla Fuller is still a good corner. I think Jalen Johnson is a good corner. They tend to play in a little bit of like a cover three thing that doesn't make them play as much man coverage as some other defenses. So I think that kind of gives them an easier job than they even need. But the slot with Buster screen, he's just not very good and they can't really protect him with a scheme. So if Brandon cooks is struggling to get open against Jalen Johnson and Kyle Fuller, then there could be a little bit of a funnel toward QT and QT might've just drawn usage on his own merit anyway. Uh, especially with, with the fuller void in the offense, of course. And, and if, if Cobb is out too. So I, with, with that said, I am a little worried about Deshaun. Like I don't want to bet against him, because I, I am a Deshaun fan. I, I definitely believe in him. And I specifically believe in Deshaun in big games, which to him this might constitute given the, the way the Bears treated him. Mm. Uh, and it, it, with that's all true. But this is a cold game. It's going to be freezing or less. There might be a little bit of wind. So that, that bothers me a little bit. It makes me pessimistic about the deep yeah, ball we're especially. Yeah, freezing all, all, all game, I think it looks like. Yeah, so that bothers me a little bit. But it's not like I doubt you know watson's toughness or something like that quite the opposite it's just more like you know with the temperature goes down the wind goes up the, the passing production reliably declines so I, I don't know uh he he could do the damage necessary by running you know he could he could he could, he could crush the hopes and dreams of the bears he, he could make an example out of them without even having a big game passing but that's just one of those things that makes the the margin of error smaller and Whenever you're talking about, you know, making the margin of error smaller, it just it's kind of like makes you makes you get uneasy and makes you start looking at the alternatives. And in my case, for the DFS slate, I'll probably end up going with other quarterbacks, even though uh, I'll be sweating the whole slate thinking like, oh, God, Deshaun's going to, you know, do the football equivalent of just like coming out with the the head in his hands and like screaming to the the crowd of barbarian soldiers that he's led. And I'm just going (laughs) to feel silly that I didn't see it coming. And, you know, what one guy that, that could help contribute to that, that that I need your take on before we move to the next game, Chad Hansen. Well, that's mm-hmm. interesting, actually, because he's one of those guys who has a prospect I can grade as NFL viable pretty easily. Like he's a in a way, I'm surprised he's burned out in the NFL like he has. It's it might be to do with just kind of like an overabundance of slot receivers, which he might be limited to. But I, I don't even really believe that. Didn't you? I feel like he ran like a decent stuff at the combine. He, he I'll, ran I'll like a like a low four five, which is not great, but not terrible. He's six two, over two hundred pounds. Uh, kind of split his time so far, but between outside and slot um, th- this season, at least a little bit more routes for, coming from the outside. Yeah, I mean, if he was ten pounds heavier, he'd basically be the same athlete as Cooper Cup. So I, I feel like there is a way, especially given how he was a very productive player at California. Uh, the the only reason he didn't play earlier at California was because they had that stupid Jared Goff uh, era receiver rotation with like Kenny Lawler and Bryce Treggs and Steven Anderson and oh, and yeah. all those guys, Darius Powell. And for some reason, people were like, "Those guys are good. We got to keep them on the field." 
and Hanson didn't get to play until his last year. And then he was like the only receiver there, uh, but he was super productive. And I don't know. It's, it's like he was really, he was, a, he was legitimately effective in last week's game. Uh, since I was kind of surprised to see him disappear, I'm not really that surprised to see him produce with the opportunity. And I think it's a fair question as to whether Randall Cobb is even better at this point. I, I mean, he'll, he'll get the playing time when he comes back by, because of his contract, I imagine. But if Hanson's out there, I, I don't, want to specifically say he'll fail or anything because i just don't really see the reason to think that there we go okay that's a good breakdown on hansen and he is expected to be uh promoted from the practice squad in time for sunday's game against the bears let's go on over we got another former super bowl matchup here we got the broncos going up against the panthers We, we all remember that that classic super bowl from a couple years ago definitely not one of the biggest snooze fest super bowls in recent memory or anything like that um Anywho, we got the Panthers three-point favorites at home against this Broncos team. Uh, what are we looking at here? I know that, that Christian McCaffrey um, the, is just the curse of McCaffrey for this year continues. He picks up another injury in, in practice. So, I mean, if you've made it to, to this point in the season, uh, made it to the playoffs with McCaffrey basically giving you goose eggs for the 90% of the season, kudos to you. But what can you really do with him uh, right now? I don't know. I mean, if he's playing, you got to play him. And if if he's not playing, hopefully you've had Mike Davis all this time. I don't know how you made the playoffs if you didn't in that scenario. But uh, yeah, no, I don't no know. practice that... Thursday as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I would just assume this is a Davis game. And this could be a pretty ugly game. These are two dubious offenses. These are two. Uh, I, I actually think this is interesting largely because I consider Phil Snow another Vic Fangio. And which is to say, like, yeah, maybe, maybe they're both old goofballs who, who have stupid opinions about various subjects, but they really know how to call a defense. Like, they're just good at it. They know it, it like it's, it's just so some people can just play chess well without really practicing it. It's, I think these guys like Fangio and Snow, it's not that they're geniuses. It's just that it comes naturally to them. Like concepts like zone coverages are easy for them to understand and apply so you got this stuff with you know panthers defense it looks like trash and i i know why someone would look at this defense and think hopefully like maybe jerry judy can get going or tim patrick or something i have pretty low hopes for the denver offense in this game because i think phil snow is going to confuse the hell out of drew Locke, and maybe vic fangio confuses teddy bridge probably he will confuse teddy bridgewater but i don't think it's going to be nearly as much as drew Locke is confused in this game so i see that the spread is dropping from carolina at minus four to minus three and i see the over unders down a point and a half i definitely endorse the over under going down i don't really want to put anything on the broncos though uh, not that i want to put anything on the panthers but i can imagine this game going something like 17 to 10 no, I, I definitely could as well. Both these offenses are really clunky, especially if, if there's no McCaffrey. And then on the Broncos side of things, you know, the defense keeps them in uh, pretty much any game. But, you, yeah. you know, Drew Locke at this at this point in his career continues to just kind of be a limiting factor, I think, for the rest of this offense. Um, so even though they have, you know, fun weapons like Jerry Judy, like Noah Fant, like Tim Patrick, who's really come on strong, um, I, I still think that this is this is a – below average offense overall one that's not scary and and you know like you're saying phil snow got things drawn up pretty well in that in that panthers defense so yeah that this is a this could be another low scoring game i'm, I'm with you there 
Um, let's move on over to the Vikings going up against the Bucks. So the Bucks are six and a half point favorites in this one. They're they're at home. I feel like this is the type of game where like the Bucks can smell a little bit of blood in the water, and like any time that they, that they aren't a little bit intimidated by their opponent, they can come out and just kind of make it make a statement win. Yeah, and I think that they could do that th- this time around against this Vikings team. I mean, you know, you don't want to draw too much from one game, but the Vikings being at, at home with you know stuff on the line and still really being being taken to to. Um, to uncomfortable places by the Jaguars, like what's going on here? So uh, going up against a Bucks team coming off of a bye, uh, coming off of a loss as well before the bye, this is a terrible spot, I think, for the Vikings. Yeah, it's bad for their chances of winning, and it's bad for Dalvin Cook, who he's he's amazing. I don't want to say that he can't run on any particular defense, but I don't see how he runs very well in this defense, and I don't see how they can afford to stay in a run script with yes. if, if Tampa Bay plays the way on offense that I, I think we have reason to expect. So Dalvin can still have a huge day for like DFS purposes because he's a really good pass catcher, and maybe there will be pass catching to do. If, if Minnesota falls behind right away, you know they're not going to give both Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen 20 targets. So if Kirk Cousins has something like 45 pass attempts, Dalvin can do a lot of damage that way. It's just uh, it's again one of those things where the 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 viable routes are, are narrowed a little bit, and so the the margin of error decreases too. So it's just riskier. But uh, and, it, and I think it's fair to wonder whether the upside is worth the risk. But it's it's hard to know these things. And when you're talking a talent like Dalvin, he's he's always in play to some extent. But I'm more so looking definitely at Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, who it's becoming kind of like reductive, formulaic, automated almost. But I don't know how those two guys have both bad games in this setting. Like maybe one of them does. But even though Carlton Davis is a really good corner, and I think Jamel Dean is really good too, uh, even though Reddick, Lewis, uh, whatever Reddick, Riddick is it? I can't yeah, remember. Uh, yeah. He was, he was just bashing Jamel Dean in that nationally uh, televised game a couple weeks ago, and it, that, that wasn't accurate. But uh, Jamel Dean, even though I think he's a really good corner, or at least like a good corner, I don't think I want him on receivers like Jefferson or Thielen. I want I want Jamel Dean on Julio Jones or somebody like that, like somebody huge and fast. So Jamel Dean's hugeness and fastness goes towards something because you can't really leverage it against Adam Thielen. Like Thielen doesn't play a speed game. He's not he doesn't win by being bigger than the corner. He just runs routes really well and people can't run with him. And um, I think Carlton Davis could straight up lose to Thielen and, and that'll be interesting too like will they use Carlton Davis as a shadow on Jefferson or Thielen I know people are uh, I mean I think Jefferson is really good um, I still think that we're in too small of a sample to, to make any really aggressive extrapolations with him like I don't I don't think that he's on track to become like a top five receiver in the NFL or anything I could be wrong but I still think Thielen is a player to be feared yeah. and maybe Tampa sees it the same way. But if they do put Davis on Thielen, then that makes it easier for Jefferson. Cause I, I definitely think he can beat Dean. Uh, Sean Bunting Murphy probably can't really cover him. So if, if the Vikings are falling behind and if they can't run the ball, 
then you're already at that point talking such a high target volume, I think, for Thielen and Jefferson that they don't really have low floors anymore and their ceilings could be pretty high if they if Cousins has one of his you know better games. Yes, that that, that obviously is the key to all this is Cousins, you know, staying on, on task and, and not falling apart like he's, you know, capable of doing at certain points. But yeah, the, a lot of so much talent around him. Um, yeah, you got to like the spots for, for both. Thielen and Jefferson, even though the the matchup relatively tough in this one, but I, I do think that the Vikings will be needing to throw throughout the game, so the volume and everything should be there for those Vikings pass catchers. Uh, on the other side of this one, we, we know that, that Minnesota's defense really not all that spectacular, especially um, against the pass. Last time that last time out for the uh, Buccaneers, their target distribution, Godwin and Evans both kind of led the way. Then you had. Gronk and Brait uh, as the next guys up, and then Antonio Brown was fifth in the pecking order um, last time that the Buccaneers played. Do you, do you expect a similar type of distribution here, or does the matchup kind of change that up and maybe elevate one of those other guys and maybe decrease maybe the target share for a guy like uh, Godwin or Evans? Well, it's it's hard to know because it's hard to know what their game plan is going to be. Like a couple weeks ago, I thought it was pretty clear that they went into the game thinking for some reason we really got to get Antonio Brown going here. I don't know if that's because they specifically thought then we'll just win because he's so good or if they were thinking more like we got to get Antonio Brown going to open up the Mike Evans post route or something to that effect. I have no idea. If it was something like that, then I'd feel a little better because – the first one is just a, a the thought of a fool like that. They we got to get the ball to Antonio Brown and get it away from Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Like if that's what they were trying to do, then they're just imbeciles, and it's it's probably a little presumptuous to assume any particular game plan from them. Like these are people who can come up with any stupid idea if they believe something like that. But if they were trying to set up Evans and Godwin. Well, I mean, this this matchup is clear green lights for both of them. And to be fair, as, as much as I think 32-year-old post-insanity uh, Antonio Brown is not that great of a receiver, he can definitely beat Jeff Gladney and Mike Hughes or whatever. I don't know who the other – they might still have Chris Boyd out there or something. Cam Dantzler got some praise lately and for last week against Chark, but I, I don't really believe that he did much with that. I think that was all Glennon. Cam Dantzler is basically just Levi Wallace, like the same player. And Levi Wallace can't run. Danzler can't run. So it's he he knows how to play corner well because he has to to be even vaguely viable. He's such a bad athlete that if he didn't know how to play corner at an expert technique level, he just wouldn't get on the field. He might not get on the field at Mississippi State or whatever uh, he was from. So he he'll have good technique, but good technique only works if you're going against a similarly oh, lesser I rem- athlete. I remember who this guy is now. Like the the name is is rung familiar. He's like the yeah the guy that the corner that runs a four six. Yeah, and he's skinny. He's like 6'2", 185, and he runs a 4'6". And he I have no doubt that he's a student of the game or whatever, and he does great things technique-wise. But people look at that sometimes and think player evaluation, that that's meaningful. It's really not because – it's something worth noting, but it doesn't mean they're going to be good. It means that they are as effective as they are today being as polished as they are today. And when the guy is highly polished and still not that good – that's a problem. That's, that, that means they're maxed out. Yeah, you finished know? product. 
So uh, in any case, I, c- I can imagine Danzler being a really effective corner against someone like Keelan Cole, who's basically the receiver version, right? Like he's he's skilled, but he's not gifted. Sure. And he's effective because he's skilled. And sometimes he goes against players who don't have the skill level to match him or the, the talented uh, level to match him. Um, so with that said, going against Mike Evans, is that's, that's the scenario where you can't win anymore because he's skilled and he's an incredible talent athletically. Like he's – you know, 50 pounds heavier than Cam Dantzler, three inches taller, and he runs a tenth of a second faster in the 40. So uses great technique all you want. I don't think it matters uh, if Tom Brady's even vaguely on target if he's throwing the ball there. But maybe he doesn't go to Evans because Godwin's so wide open against Jeff Gladney. And he, I can see him just bullying Gladney, who I, I think can be a good player still. But I, I don't believe people really appreciate how good Godwin is. And um, I think he could dominate Gladney if they choose to go that way. Eric Kendricks might be out for this game. He apparently hurt his calf last week in the warmups, which oh, uh, was was quite a thing to have happen for the Vikings. If he's out again, my concern for the receivers for Tampa increases a little bit because then I think Ronald Jones can run on these guys. I think Fournette might be able to run on them too. But if Kendricks is out, that's he's the best player on the Vikings. Uh, definitely their defense. I know some people would take offense to that if I said the whole team because we love uh, Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, but Kendricks is just about as good as it gets at linebacker, and if he's out, it changes everything. You can run on them now. You can get passes to your running backs now, but if he's on the field, neither of those is a realistic option. Okay, all right, so that that's important to note. We have Rojo ranked as our RB17 uh, this week over that strikes me as a little low but yeah. who knows? I, I didn't look at the specific rankings um, yeah i mean yeah there, there's just like a pack of guys from like elliot at 12 to gallman sanders dobbins drake and then ronald jones so it's, it's kind uh, of a, i would take i would take ronald over uh drake and gallman okay all right so that, anyway that, good to note nonetheless um but yeah either way i think that the that the bucks are, are in a position to kind of remind everybody going going into the playoff run that that they are a team to be reckoned with in the nfc despite some costly losses along the way i think that this is a bad bad spot for the vikings uh before we get on to our next game we got a message from our friends over at prop swap Smart sports bettors are always know where to find the best odds before placing a bet. And that's why smart bettors use PropSwap. You can always find the best odds on PropSwap because you're buying directly from other bettors like yourself. See a ticket you like, but think the price is too high? Submit a bid for a price you think is fair, then buy it. PropSwap sellers are always willing to negotiate, and we always know that bookies never will. And for a limited time... Our listeners can get up to $500 in bonus cash. Just use the promo code ROTO500. That's promo code R-O-T-O-5-0-0. And PropSwap will match your first deposit up to $500. Become a smarter sports better today. Go to PropSwap.com or download the PropSwap app. We also got a message from our friends over at BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with RotoWire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month RotoWire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website, and once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of RotoWire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. 
Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager, please. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia as well. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. All right, let's move on over. We got the Cardinals going up against the Giants, two teams that I have slightly fluctuating viewpoints on. The Giants... I I hate them both. (laughs) It's like I'm I'm like disappointed in the Cardinals. It's like the the talented oh, kid yeah. that that's not doing his homework, and then the, the Giants are, are just like you know the the kid that on like your youth basketball team that is really good at like boxing out or something. I don't, I don't know. Like it's <laughs> just really the kid aggressive who with the fouls everyone out. so much that they stop calling fouls on him. See, yeah, it, I mean it's it's a method. It it, it works. It, it takes a while for for it to. Uh, to start to see the theory behind it, but eventually it, it starts to click, and that, that's kind of what happened uh, with the Giants and, and Joe Judge, and you know the the Oklahoma drills with professional football players and, and training camp and all that stuff. It's resulted in, in the Giants, you know, playing a, a scrappy brand of ball. They go into Seattle last week, and you know they hold that Seattle offense in check in, in a pretty significant way, especially in Seattle, uh, and win a game with, with Colt McCoy starting at quarterback. And then on the other side, you know, the Cardinals, not their best performance a week ago um, against the Rams. So they're one and a half point favorites here on the road. I think I like the Giants in in this one with with that spread uh, considered. Yeah, I noticed the spread is down to one and a half. The over-under stayed the same. So definitely there's some money skeptical of the Cardinals. And uh, if I were the if I were people betting on it, I'd, I'd be among that group, I think, like you, because I, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to like say Kyler Murray is incapable of single handedly winning a game because I very much think he is. And I tend to say that's why Arizona has won any of their games, actually, because it's just I think Cliff Kingsbury is doing a terrible job. And we're reaching a point in time in his tenure where I'm not really getting my hopes up for him improving. And he still could weirder things have when it comes to kingsbury yeah but Mm -hmm. for the reason i'm getting like more pessimistic every week is not just because he fails to change in any of those games it's that i think it 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 just feels clear to me by now that he's not a guy who comes up with ideas like he has a set of principles that he learned by being raised in the mike mike leach school of football but other than sort of memorizing an orthodoxy I don't think he believes or like perceives much, you know, it's like he doesn't have insights. He doesn't watch a game if, where his offense fails and, and and have an idea about what to do. But I feel like when when the Cardinals fail as an offense to Cliff Kingsbury's ideology, it just means that there's nothing to be done because mm-hmm. he already thinks he's running like the perfect scheme or whatever. Like that's why he's ideologically committed to it. And so when the, when the scheme fails, it can't fail to him it, it it just kind of uh can be failed or maybe be subject to a little bit of arbitrary bad luck but i don't think he's capable of having the realization that he failed you know because it's the scheme is just per se something to to go with 
for, like you go with the scheme to go with the scheme. It's just kind of it's an ideological thing. He he uh, and and with that he he knows like the lessons of Mike Leach. He knows when this happens, you do this. This play calls for this purpose, and you got you got these guys doing this for the purposes of this. But I don't think he is in a position to alter any of it and make adjustments. And you need to make adjustments. You need to make adjustments on a drive-to-drive basis, certainly on a week-to-week basis. Ideally, you would be like an Andy Reid type who pays attention to his play calls like each quarter of the year and then changes it so that it's not quite the same in November as it is in September. Cliff Kingsbury will always call the same offense. And maybe that changes – but then if he did, he would no longer be the Mike Leach ideologue, you know? So I, that doesn't seem possible to me. And we're seeing all these people talk about in the last two weeks. And it's so funny that they only noticed this the last two weeks because they were, you know, they had money on DeAndre Hopkins and they they didn't investigate the PPR totals from earlier because PPR totals are reality per se at this point. Um, but they were doing the same thing these last few weeks as they were earlier. And I – I invested in Kyler Murray quite a bit in a few places and DeAndre Hopkins. And I was surprised at, like how bad Kingsbury's play calling was. And I saw it as a red flag at the time. I was like, Oh my God. Like, I saw DeAndre Hopkins make this amazing catch on this amazing throw over Quinton Dunbar. But I'm noticing every single play he's on the left side and he doesn't go deep that much. That's a low depth of target, always running from the same spot. You can scheme for that. Everybody can scheme for that. There is no way that defenses won't catch on to this. And they're catching on. And now we wait to see if Cliff can do something different. And I don't know if he's like – I don't know if he's if it's in his DNA to have that as a possibility. I think he can only go back and just try different combinations of the same Mike Leach playbook. But the issue is that it's a static system that he has. Everybody lines up in the same place all the time and they don't do many dynamic things from those, from those looks. So you know – uh, like I don't know where right to left on a five-yard basis DeAndre Hopkins is going to go after the snap, but I know he's not going six in either direction. So how hard can this be? You know that's that's where they're at, and it doesn't matter how much talent DeAndre Hopkins is. It doesn't matter how many times Kyler Murray you know breaks the pocket and runs when these pass route combos don't go anywhere. It's like that's going to be hard to to win with and, and compete with generally over a long sample. And I think we're seeing the premise exhaust itself over the course of the year and get harder for Murray basically every week. Man, that was, that was a great breakdown on, you know, the, an offense that, that I think w- was sold to us as like, you know, being this huge game changer in the NFL, something that, that, you know, is, is the next big thing that, that, you know, gets, opposing de- defensive coordinators like keeps them up all night trying to to contend with this air raid they bring in uh deandre hopkins obviously that this offseason and like you said they have him in the same spot every time i'm looking at, at his alignment distribution over on a uh, on our player pages on rotowire and is 692 snaps on the left side only 100 on the right so they're just not varying anything at all they're not varying those looks and like you said he's a low average depth of target guy now that's not necessarily what deandre hopkins should be so would be nice for a coach to like really try to maximize deandre I, hopkins for, for once i, I know, know this is a this is a bad analogy for a lot of reasons especially because the genres don't like mix. it better already go on but uh what i would call cliff kingsbury is a nutty professor situation and like buddy is the mike leach magic playbook like this magic device that he has to make him uh successful in the absence of like the actual you know character substance that that would normally be necessary for for true talent and he has this kind of like magic mike leach device that has gotten him this far and when it doesn't work there's nothing to do but be like ah come on start working again 
and, and like, he starts inflating. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, he, but he's dependent on it too. He like, he, he's ashamed that he's buddy. He knows he's a fraud, but he has to keep going back because, uh, um, I guess in this case, Jada Pinkett, Pinkett Smith is the NFC West title or something like that. I haven't thought this through. Um, at the, at the risk of mixing up my late nineties, Eddie Murphy movies, uh, who's at the dinner table? Um, well, Mike Leach, I guess. Yeah. He, and... he's, he's dumping gravy on, on the, on his uh dinner and saying i know what healthy is and then uh, yeah, uh graham harrell maybe <laughs> yes yeah no he's doing a good job at usc though maybe, maybe he's hercules um yeah i guess uh yeah and then like if it was at if it was at 1999 at the time maybe like danny amandola <laughs> is a kid like, at the table i don't know uh, you know, he's a farting child yeah <laughs> Hercules. oh my god uh that that truly is what like my my like favorite fa- there was like a viral tweet the other week like what what's your favorite like food scene in any movie and mine was emphatically the nutty professor dinner scene it's solid it's fart noises solid. are always funny they are I as long as you don't do them too long no and <laughs> but if you do them a long time and stop for a while and then start again then it's funny oh man it, it it's the best uh, I'll, I'll watch that on youtube every once in a while and just crack up all right enough nutty professor for right now we'll come back to the fart jokes later like you said to preserve their funniness chiefs dolphins dolphins seven point home dogs in this one i mean that's a it's a lot to try i mean really it comes down to like are the chiefs interested in in playing a full chiefs game if they are, then then they crush this spread. If they go in and, and kind of keep it in second gear the whole way, that, then I think the Dolphins can make this competitive for long enough to maybe cover that spread. Um, but what are your expectations here? It's tough because I, th- I think the Dolphins have certain things going for them, and they, their defense is interesting. Like it's it seems to be mixing in kind of like. New England approaches with uh, almost like the the I don't know almost like, almost a little bit like the Chiefs defense where it's kind of like cover three stuff where you try to funnel things toward the middle of the defense where you use amoeba principles to confuse the the quarterback into identifying you know the coverages incorrectly the blitzes incorrectly stuff like that but I just don't know whether any of it matters against Mahomes and it's almost maybe a danger to use. To, to use your usual approach as the Dolphins because your usual approach as the Dolphins is something to the effect of like, let's get in these receivers faces outside and get after the quarterback. And when you do that against the chiefs, Tyreek Hill is just so much faster than everybody that he gets deep. And there's not really a whole lot you can do about it except call off that aggressive scheme and do over the top two safeties at all times and just pray that Pat Mahomes like has the ball slip out of his hands basically. But those are the two options. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know which one they'll take, but I think the the approach that they take is what will determine the results for the Chiefs side, which is to say like either the Dolphins will play aggressively and Tyreek will torch them and Watkins can torch them, Mecole Hardman can torch them, or they play two over the top at all times and Travis Kelsey just gets sixteen yard gains over and over, you know, ten times and eventually the chiefs are up 10 and eventually they have to start throwing the ball. Uh, the dolphins have to start throwing the ball and Tua gets overexposed. And then we have like the avalanche in, in that case. Yeah, that would be an ugly situation, but certainly one that, that is definitely within the realm of possibilities. Um, 
you know, we, we talked about the, this Chiefs passing game. It's infallible, as we know. If you're someone that, that's still trying to piece through this Chiefs running back core, you know, you, you're maybe light on bench options uh, at, at the running back position. Can you start Edwards Hilaire with any level of confidence at this stage? I don't know. I kind of think so, but that's just because I think it makes sense for what Andy Reid said last week. I, I It's really not that unusual for coaches to have these things where they say, oh, this guy had a good week of practice. It, Andy Reid does that. Like That's probably why we saw things like Daryl Williams popping up last year. It's Andy Reid is not perfect. He still has that dumb football guy part of him where he really believes on some level that how a player practices during the week – says something about their nature as of that Sunday morning. Like if you practice poorly this week, I literally think you're a worse player on Sunday, even though I know over the course of years, I've seen you play in other circumstances. I literally believe you have changed fundamentally because you uh, dropped a pass or whatever in practice. Like coaches believe that all the time. And generally the dumber, the coach, the more they believe stuff like that. And Andy Reed is one of the better coaches, but he's not totally free of it. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire not practicing during the week I really think is a viable explanation for why he didn't play in that game because if if it was just that Lavian Bell's making a you know competition out of it then I think they would have split the work and it just would have been a worse share of it for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire than the prior games like going from the majority to zero doesn't make sense to me uh, I, I really think it is just that Andy Reid made a weird call about the practice activity, and I don't think it applies anymore. Interesting. Okay. All right. So that 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 clears that up. Um, and then on the Miami side, um, any optimism or or specific pessimism for for their usual cast of characters, be it Miles Gaskin, uh, Devontae <sighs> Parker, anything like that. Well, I love Devontae Parker as a talent, and I have to admit it's kind of intriguing to me to imagine a game where his even if the Dolphins are losing like 40 to 14 I kind of have to wonder man does that mean Devontae Parker gets 16 targets for just mega garbage time um Mm. I don't think he needs garbage time I'm, I'm saying this more out of kind of like combined respect for the Chiefs defense and concern over Tua because I don't know what's a fair expectation for Tua I don't know if he's capable of a whole lot with the offensive line that he has uh so we'll see but I think Parker is great, and if he just could get an opportunity, I can. I think he can beat pretty much anybody, you know. And, and if it's like if I would, I guess if I make a if I make a Tyreek Hill lineup, I'll want Devontae Parker to be in it because if Tyreek Hill has his big game, it means that the Dolphins are doing more man coverage than they should, which is to say the Chiefs are scoring every three plays, which is to say that the Dolphins have to throw the ball that much sooner than they'd like, and if they're throwing it, yeah, Mike Kosicki will get something. He could have a good game. He could he could have a totally good game. Uh, Lynn Bowden, maybe he's getting involved. I thought he's a good prospect. I, I thought what he did last week is stuff that he can keep doing in the future. But there's no question Devontae Parker is the guy by miles and miles in this offense, uh, for me anyway. So I, I I would look at him as the, the run-it-back option with with any sort of chief stack, definitely. I like it. So a little bit of correlation talk on, on the Thursday pod. I dig. Let's go right. on. Let's go but on. I won't put Parker in my Travis Kelsey lineup because that's uh, the cover two version. Okay, all right. So that that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's a premium episode only. We'll get yeah. into that one. Um, let's go Cowboys Bengals. Obviously, the Andy Dalton revenge game. You know, going back to Cincinnati. <laughs> uh, that's what. That's all that people. We should have led the show off with this. So that that's my mistake as the host. Bengals three and a half point dogs at home. 
I don't know, man. The Cowboys are pretty bad. I, this, yeah, I I can't trust any of these te- either of these teams with points. Like I'd prefer this to to be a pick 'em, and then I just literally just flip a coin. Um, so, what are we looking at here? Well, this is interesting because according to Covers.com, fifty eight percent of the bet volume is on the Bengals, and yet they've gone from three point underdogs to three and a half. So, I guess. Uh, I guess the results will determine whether it was sharp money, but some amount of money that is disproportionately big per like better is on the Cowboys right now, which is interesting. I don't know what to make of that. They could just be totally wrong or they could be someone who is uh, professionally not wrong when people are most sure that they are. So I don't know which it is. I hate the Cowboys. I don't think they have a single uh, thing going for them really. Like I, I think they have a talent advantage for the most part, but not by that much. And I think that the coaching is so bad that it just isn't relevant, really. It's a moot point. Like, it's it's Freddie Kitchens 2019 level bad. Where it's like, ooh, the, the, the Browns have all these good, talented prospects. Doesn't matter. They're, they're not a real team. They, they, don't, they don't play as if they so much as practice, you know? Mm-hmm. So the theory just doesn't apply at all. But, and, you know, you look at, you look at uh, the quarterbacks for Cincinnati and – Maybe if Brandon Allen isn't out there, Ryan Finley really is worse, and I tend to believe he is. And maybe the, maybe it's just the Finley part that explains all of it. Because granted, I think Mike Nolan is maybe one of the worst defensive coordinators of all time, and probably one of just the, the most comically uh, fraudulent coaches in general. I mean, he's, he's still getting paid from the two thousand Ravens, like being on that staff. Dude, that guy ran such a great scam. He he was like the proto Jim Nagy because he did that stupid sanctimonious crap about like carry yourself like a professional, wear a tie when you're on the sideline to bring bring you know dignity back to the game that we love. Yeah, wearing and, wearing a suit on the sideline in in this millennium is just. I mean, it's a it's a funny bit. Like it's something that I would consider as a coach, but yeah. like I wouldn't take it seriously. He was just doing it as like the most ridiculous, cynical, fake hustle crap, and it impressed all the dumbest people. It's so great. Uh, but yeah, he's just been a, a, like an impossible failure in every respect. And he's, he's really blowing it this year. Like the Dallas defensive personnel isn't good, but they also aren't as bad as he's made them. And like guys like Mike Nolan get jobs. Cause guys like Mike McCarthy get jobs and they're all cronies and they're all jokes. They're all frauds, hacks, every one of them. Um, but that's just how the system works. And uh, that's why we get this lovely game f- to watch on Sunday. And I, I, I think that with all that said, like the, the Dallas defense is trash. And, and Mike Nolan is, is maybe the biggest culprit. Why? But Ryan Finley is Ben DiNucci level bad. Uh, they are both Kendall Hinton level bad, but they can't play receiver for Wake Forest. You know, it's just it's just these are guys who should not be in the NFL. Uh, it took a team like the Bengals to get a guy like Ryan Finley in the NFL. And Ryan Finley, I said this on Twitter a couple of times over the years because it's, it's just amazing to me that it isn't like a bigger outrage point but ryan finley got ran out of boise state when brett ripon was a true freshman yep. and ryan finley was a third year player so he was probably like 20 and a half 21 at the time that brett ripon was 19 and ripon ran him out of town and then he then ryan finley transferred to north carolina state whereas like a 24 year old quarterback he was kind of okay he was like second team all acc as mm-hmm. a six-year guy which is just a joke as far as prospect terms. Like that's not a draftable player. And we know that because Brett Ripon wasn't a draftable player, even though he was way better than Finley and the Bengals spent a fourth round pick on the guy. So that's, that's amazing to me. Finley can't play. And, um, 
yeah, I guess I, the people betting money on the Cowboys, it's like I'm, I'm, I don't share their courage, but I can see their reasoning and I can't really argue against it because Finley really is that bad if he's out there. Oof. Yeah, so t- tough scene in Cincinnati. We saw uh, in, you know, maybe, maybe this has more to do with, with the way that the Ravens run their offense, but, they, you know, they were ripping off so many just chunk runs against the, the Cowboys. Is there anything in this Bengals personnel that would make you think that maybe uh, some of their running game can can get it rolling against the, these uh, this kind of farce of a, of a Cowboys defense? Yeah, the, the, so the Ravens are good at that, of course, but the particular way it happened – that's what happens when you have a team that is largely quitting. They've at least like subconsciously quit, even if they don't realize on a personal level that they don't want to play anymore. And it's not just that. It's that the team, like the Freddie Kitchens case, it's like they look like they don't practice. They look like they don't have basic fundamental things intact. And I don't know what would get better as far as that goes in a season like this, this you know, disorienting, so stressful, so just dreary of an environment. It's like, are you really going to get to week 14 as a, as an employee of Mike McCarthy's and, and really pep up out there against the Bengals and be like, guys, let's do this for uh, Mike Nolan, I guess let's let, let's really get our stuff together and find something in our, inside ourselves that we didn't know was there. I guess it could happen, but I doubt it. And if they're sim- if they're in a similar state as they were against the Ravens, and they could have more reason to quit now. It's like whatever the level they wanted to quit in that game, I bet they feel it more now. It's like Gio Bernard can run on a defense like that, I guess. It's like I'm, I'm worried about them ending up in second and longs and third and longs from throwing the ball. And, and that's all ways that it can come to hurt the opportunity level of Gio Bernard. But if he's getting the carries, I think it's going to work. It's just, you know, they need Finley to not put them in a hole and, and, and make them abandon the run. But I, I feel like, matchup wise it's a t- it's one of geo's best settings in weeks i think yeah it, it absolutely is and it makes me all the more upset that that the joe mixon injury has gone down the way that it has i only have him in a couple spots but it's like man i could really 2019 use- aj green uh the running back edition it's so cool i love that that guy got zach taylor's got to go by the way it's I, I i resent guys like mike mccarthy uh, that much more for the fact that they make me forget how much I hate Zach Taylor. There you go, because he he's crony level. I mean, he just had like the contact tracing to Sean McVay, and that got him hired. Yeah, you know? it's basically it's basically nepotism. Yeah. It's a joke. His his offensive coordinator is Bill Callahan's son. This is make work crap. Get these idiots out of here. Mm-hmm. Come on, Cincy. Um, all right. Uh, speaking of teams on quit watch, we got the Jets. Uh, I guess they they've, they've already kind of folded they're in, trying but they're failing at it because they're the jets it's the like per- yeah, it's the perfect tanking situation where you can have like the appearance of of giving an effort while also making sure that that you locking in uh that that number one overall pick it shouldn't have come down to that last play if i'm Insane. the jets i'm firing greg williams for making it that close not because he blew it on the last play <laughs> that last play was just i mean legendary i mean people will always remember that i mean nobody nobody I respect does it. yeah I actually respect it. Not even joking. I mean, he, that's a guy that, you know, we, we were talking about Glennon going out meekly earlier. It's like Greg Williams went out going full Greg Williams. So there, there's honor in that. You can't accuse Greg Williams of compromising. Damn straight. Damn straight. All right. So Jets, 13 and a half point dogs on the road. Seahawks, perpetually weird. I didn't trust them with 10 and a half points against the, the Giants a week ago. Good call. Um, I, I 
don't know if I trust him this much, but maybe the the loss against the Giants is a wake up call enough to where it's like, okay, we we got to take care of business here. And if they do, then of course that they they cover this spread. Um, what are your kind of expectations here? Uh, what is the spread again? Uh, I'm looking at uh, over on BetMGM. It's Seahawks minus 13 on DraftKings. Uh, it's up to 13 and a half on the Jets side. Okay, so. I expect the Seahawks offense to emphatically bounce back. Like I, I would sooner expect 400 yards and four touchdowns from Russell Wilson than like 200 yards and two touchdowns. So, uh, not, not to say that I specifically expect the highest one, but someplace in the middle feels, you know, maybe I'm being naive, but it, it feels so safe. Like it's almost a given. Uh, and we know that, or the, I feel that way largely because it's just, we know these corners for the jets can't cover these these Seahawks receivers even a little and unlike the Giants who uh you know they didn't have the right ideology or the right uh strategy of of building their defense because they spent too much on bulk and run stopping and not enough on pass rushing but you put enough mass on the defensive line and you know if one of those guys runs like Dexter Lawrence and the other runs like Leonard Williams it's not quite the same as just putting any group of fat guys on a defensive line. You know, it's like they can do something and uh, the, the Seahawks offensive line kind of let them get going. But I don't see that as a risk here. Uh, Quinn and Williams, I guess, is part of that risk. Like he's really good. He's the um, I guess like the he could yet be a better version of, of Leonard Williams. So, so he, he's but, come on strong this year. Cause I, I remember just like being weirded out that, that I heard zero things about him as rookie year. Well, he was kind of okay as a rookie. It's just, he was really young as a rookie yeah. and you don't really know much uh, until a guy, uh, like if he, if he had uh, just totally fallen on his face as a rookie, that would have been one thing, but he didn't, he was just kind of pretty good. And especially for adjusting, expectations for his age and experience level um but you know you got a, you got a guy like Quentin williams he's six three two uh sorry three oh five three ten something like that you ran a four eight three forty that's really good and when you're that athletic you don't even really need that much skill to be a good player but it seems knock on wood like he's got quite a bit of skill too yeah. in addition to the really really good athleticism so uh i definitely think he's he's one of the more dangerous defensive linemen in the league right now but there is not the Dexter Lawrence. There is not. Uh, there's a. There's another guy. They got a couple decent guys on the line. There's not a Tomlinson, if I remember right. So this Jets defensive line in front seven. I, I am not worried about them giving Russell Wilson the same level of stress. But even if they did, there is no James Bradbury. So the green light is over DK Metcalf, no matter what the pass rush looks like. And you know, there's there's no. Uh, Whoever the secondary corner is probably isn't even as good as like Darnay Holmes or whoever was covering Tyler Lockett. Like they had Lamar Jackson, Nebraska Lamar Jackson, undrafted corner uh, starting outside with Bryce Hall. Bryce Hall might be okay. We'll see. But he's not James Bradbury. And you're not pulling off what the Giants did last week unless you have Leonard Williams and James Bradbury. Okay. All right. So that that definitely adds up. So that this – like that, there were things that we could have seen that that would have explained uh, what ended up going on in Seattle a week ago. That just isn't really there when it when it comes to the Jets and, and how they're set up in this one. Little uh, gambling nugget in this one: um, we got two very opposite and like exact opposite ends of the spectrum. The Seahawks are the best team against the spread this year. They're ten and two, and the Jets are the worst at two and ten. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was going to say, as far as the, the overall outcome of this game, I feel like I like the, the Seahawks to cover, even if they give up, like, 28 points. I Now that I'm thinking it through, it's like this is one of my favorite games to target for DFS, probably, especially if uh, – I assume Dunbar is still on IR. So if he's out, then, yeah, Bill Mims, I'm not, I'm not one of his super fans. I'm definitely not a super fan of Rashad Perriman. But whoever the Trey Flowers, Lyndon Stevens, DJ Reed, whoever it is opposite Chat Griffin, they can't cover the Jets' outside receiver on that play. And Jamison Crowder, I think, is legitimately good in the slot. So uh, as long as Carlos Dunlap doesn't just ruin Sam Darnold, I think both quarterbacks could have really good games here. Okay, all right. So that this one could be sneaky fun to watch. Keep that in mind for your uh, Sunday ticket viewing pleasure. Let's go over. We got a pretty important game in the AFC playoff picture. We got Indianapolis going up against Las Vegas. Indianapolis three-point favorites in this one. Um, Raiders obviously coming off of two just awful performance. I mean, the 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 game against the Falcons was one of the worst games anyone has played this oh, yeah. entire season. Then you back it up with, okay, we got a get-right game against the Jets. We're, it'll be fine. And it takes... <laughs> you know, an act of God, tank God, uh, to escape the Meadowlands with a victory uh, yeah. for the Raiders. So I have a hard time. Like, the the amount of, of weight that I was putting behind them, like going toe-to-toe with the Chiefs a couple weeks ago, is completely out the door. I have such a hard time trusting the Raiders right now. I've, I've been pretty consistent on, on my distrust on Indianapolis, too, though. But, I mean, both these teams our quality uh they're going up against each other so i have a i have a hard time figuring this one out but but uh what are you seeing yeah i don't know i have i, I don't really have a good con- uh conception of Derek carr and whether he fits better against a zone defense or a man defense i i kind of feel like he's probably not great at either uh I don't know. It's I don't know whether the Matt Aberflus factor affects Derek Carr any differently than any other quarterback, but I'm pretty uh, pessimistic about the Raiders. I guess I, I don't know how to balance these things, like the knowledge that they beat the Chiefs, and then the knowledge that they lost to that stupid Falcons team, and then almost lost to that just insanely bad Jets team. It's like they are they really a different team over the course of that, or, or is it like? You know, maybe maybe they'll maybe they're capable of playing well against the Colts. Maybe they are the same team that beat the Chiefs, and maybe the 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 two recent games are the ones that don't matter. I have no idea how to put the proper weight on these different things, but because I was biased against Carr in the first place, I am t- I'm kind of deferring to the pessimistic outlook, and yet I I don't go all in on that in this case because I am also having a rapidly decreasing opinion of frank reich and the colts so as far as the blow it factor goes like i can't rule out the colts doing it because i i think they're capable of it in a way that that i just didn't uh factor in going into this year i thought reich was a good coach like point blank and i i really don't believe that now but he's got the better team uh we saw deforest buckner come back last week and he just totally changed everything yes. about that defense which is not surprising that's just the kind of player he is he's their best player on either side of the ball but uh you know it's it's uh it's like Derek Carr had good games against the Chiefs and I wrote him off and I I feel I feel like he's I'm the rule of the past month has just been that Derek Carr does the opposite of whatever I expect so it would be like arrogant of me to think that he does badly when I think he will. Right. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to handle it, but 
I definitely defer to the the, the Colts side of it just because I uh, I don't know. I think they're better coached, certainly on defense. As much as I have concern about Reich, I don't have any real concerns about Eberflus. I think he's just good. So with that and the combined breakout of Jonathan Taylor, uh, which which I am calling a breakout, like I, I think it's happening. All right. I think that Jonathan Taylor, you know, he's he he wasn't perfect this year. I, I would have liked to have seen him break more tackles, things like that, but. When you look at a guy who's pushing 230 pounds and he runs a 4.39 and you saw him break a ton of tackles in college, I'm just going to go ahead and assume it's going to happen because it's it's a, even Trent Richardson, he sucked, but he broke tackles, you know? It was just he couldn't go anywhere no matter how many tackles he broke because he was just finding the defense every carry. Mm-hmm. And that's not quite how it's gone with Taylor. It's like he would get the ball, he'd he'd get hit in the backfield because he gets hit. He gets different fundamental looks from the defense than Naheem Hines, and I know people have trouble grasping this. But when Naheem Hines goes on the field, they put out like the nickel defense usually. Whereas with even if it's like a you know I formation, you're more likely than in Taylor's case to get uh, six men or less in the box, right? Uh, so it's like a lot of the running success is just on the basis of how many guys are in the box. They put more in the box when Taylor is out there. So Naheem's having more yardage per carry in a game is not insightful. Like he needs to be way better than Taylor to be as useful as Taylor is because of the defense, it, it changes the way the defense allocates its resources. The results aren't just one-to-one uh, at face value. So Taylor has been getting tougher looks all year and getting hit in the backfield more all year. And unlike at Wisconsin, he doesn't have like – the the mastering of of the the circumstances generally but you know the offense so he's thinking about questions that he never thought of before and it's slowing him down a little bit as a result but if he stops thinking about those things he starts to rapidly improve in a way that you never could imagine Naheem Hines improving like the, you start to see the talent disparity just really rattle uh, you know, the, the whole outlook of the thing. And that's what happens when guys, you know, really come to life and they have the talent level that Taylor does. And I think when you go and watch this Wisconsin tape, it's pretty clear he had to adjust to the NFL timing specifically in two, two respects. Like the Wisconsin offensive line dominated a lot. And so he was making, he was showing good vision in the version of running the Wisconsin offense, which is like knowing how to interpret these linemen being this far downfield versus these defensive looks, none of which occur in the NFL anymore because no offensive line dominates to the scale that the Wisconsin one did. So he had to kind of relearn the rhythm. He kind of had to start. It's like he had to start playing a new instrument basically. And he can only learn it with reps, which they withheld from him in training camp saying, you're not earning it yet. You got to earn the reps. And it's precisely backwards. They should have given him the reps the more that he needed it. They shouldn't have said, like, you'll get more reps when you earn it. They should have said, like, because you can't earn it now, we know that we need to build you up so that you can. And they totally blew it. And they got what they deserved and what they asked for. But you can only keep a talent like Taylor down for so long. And I think he's he's adjusting from this dominant Wisconsin offensive line in this Wisconsin scheme where they would use not only one but two fullbacks pretty often. They would run a wishbone with him as the deep back. It's all like the inversion of that in the NFL. It's like three receivers, no fullback, definitely not two. And he's having to learn how these things work. And I think it's starting to come together. And once it really comes together, there will be no doubt. No one else is getting carries once he gets going. There we have it. The the official Jonathan Taylor update going into week fourteen. I, I am very pleased that that he's starting to come out of it. I was I was in a dark place in like October when people started saying, Is is he Trent Richardson? I was like, I can't, well, I can't, man, I can't deal know, with this. 
this is such a weird scenario too because all of his critics were fixated on he can't catch the ball and he's doing perfect. He has quite literally missed only one target all year. He's doing a great job as a pass catcher. Now imagine as a hypothetical six months ago you were told, okay, here's how Jonathan Taylor's season is going to go. I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one fact about his upcoming season. And I want you to say buy or sell. He catches 98% of his targets. You go, oh my god, buy. That was the only thing he was supposed to be bad at. And mm-hmm. so it's like the, the pass catching production has been really good, which is interesting because that means he's seeing the field. He's just not seeing it from the backfield. And if, if he were if he were trash, if he couldn't break tackles, he wouldn't do anything with those catches either. But he was doing something all along with those catches because that was simple to him. It's like, oh, this is a football field. I'm going to run away from these guys. But before that, when he was getting carries, it would be like, OK, what do I do? This isn't quite how we did it at Wisconsin. I got to do the, this thing and then that or else they're going to bench me and Tom Rathman's going to bitch at me. Uh, so I got to worry about this. And in the open field with the catches, none of that ever applied, and he was productive all the time. And I think we're seeing now the rushing component catch up to his like a more analogous setting as his pass catching, which is to say his raw talent as a huge, fast person who can't be caught is starting to manifest. Yeah, I mean, you definitely saw it uh, with some of those plays last week in the passing game, and, and it is starting to come together pretty nicely for him. Another guy that... Um, you know, I, I never wrote off Taylor, but like th- this guy is someone who I, I think you could have safely done that with and you wouldn't have caught too much criticism for doing it. But I, I'm kind of having to recalibrate on this one. Is T.Y. Hilton starting to starting to wake up again? Uh, is he like getting a, a connection with Philip Rivers? I mean, the last two weeks he's looked legitimately good. I mean, eight catches for for 110 on 11 targets against Houston a week ago, scored on, on a pretty nice adjustment in the end zone against Tennessee the week prior. I know that's a little bit more anecdotal, but a matchup against a kind of leaky um, Vegas secondary, why not? Right. And I, I don't know whether it matters, but I don't think he has some new chemistry with Rivers. I think it's just there will never be a good chemistry because you can't have good chemistry with Rivers because he, he shouldn't be playing. But if you – as far as uh, you know, the struggles earlier, I think it was basically he was having a lot of bad luck. One thing that's interesting with T.Y. Hilton is if you look at his numbers for this year before last week – before the last two weeks, I should say, he had a lot of – I want to say five defensive pass interference calls against him, uh, which was more than previous years. And it's like – if you just take his numbers even before two weeks ago and you add five catches for 50 yards on five targets to what he's what his numbers were on the year, it starts to look a little different. And then when you go look through the tape all along in the, in the tape, you could have seen this year. There were these plays where T.Y. Hilton got open and Rivers just missed him. And the, I think what you're seeing the past couple of weeks is just sort of like the Babbitt going back up for Rivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still terrible, but the ball is is just landing a little bit better. And Hilton was the same guy all along or not the same guy as in like peak T.Y. Hilton. He's he's lost something. But T.Y. Hilton was an awesome player at his peak and 85 yes. percent. Peak T.Y. Hilton is still a starter and going against defenses like these the last couple of weeks, like the Texans trash defense, like even Philip Rivers can hit him in that case. And I, I do think that the Raiders secondary is a similar sort of thing. I, I don't think their corners are any good. Uh, their safeties are whatever. But uh, like Jeff Heath has a concussion. We don't know whether he's going to play. Jonathan Abrams has been playing nicked up. Uh, I would almost hope Damon Arnett plays because he's so slow. He definitely can't cover T.Y. Hilton, but uh, it doesn't matter. Whoever's out there, I don't think they can really cover T.Y. It's just a question of whether Rivers has his bad days. Okay, and and the hope is that maybe he can cobble it together enough to, to make it work. Uh, it's in, more of a – it's not so much a hope as much as a hopeless hope. Yeah. <laughs> there we have it. 
um, the the Philip Rivers update as well. All right, we got a few more games to get to. Let's run through them. We got Packers, Lions in Detroit. Um, Packers seven and a half point favorites on the road in this one. We know that they dominate the, this series historically um, under Aaron Rodgers. Lions obviously coming off that that plucky win a week ago in Chicago. Impressive. You can't really take anything away from them for for that. But I still think that the Packers are just leaps and bounds better. I think that as long as they they come in focused, I think that they'll be able to win this one fairly comfortably. Am I off there? It should be pretty comfortable. The question is whether it's one of those things for me. It's like, do the Lions cover or do the Packers cover? But the the Lions are not winning this game. Maybe that's not giving them enough credit. I guess. To be fair to them, you know, they were without Kenny Galladay and DeAndre Swift last week. We'll see whether either of them can suit up for this one. If either of them can, that does change things a little bit, at least potentially quite a bit. But the Packers are just one of the best teams and the Lions are one of the worst. And there's just a lot of good reasons for both of those things being true. Like neither one is fluky. So it would take something exceedingly fluky for for both teams to uh kind of like abandon their natures in my opinion and uh with the way that matt lafleur is calling his playbook right now i I don't really think they're going to get outsmarted in this game and i even if they get outsmarted i still don't think they'll lose because the talent is too uh too much of a differential i guess okay and then when it comes to the the non-obvious you know Devontae adams uh aaron jones aaron rodgers um, you know Stafford if you have him uh, any guys that are more like on, on the periphery or flex considerations that, that you think have an up or downgrade for this week in this matchup well Adams is infallible right. and you can imagine him having a particularly big game if you think that the Lions are going to cover this even if the Packers are the ones who get the cover though usually it's because Adams had a big game so not not really much to elaborate on there I would say for the running backs as a general rule it feels safe to me to kind of give Jamal Williams a boost if I think the Packers are going to cover because they're not eager to give Aaron Jones a big workload. They're they're eager to get the ball to Williams so they can just kind of end the game, you know. And if the if the Lions revert to their early season type, it could be more of a Jamal Williams game. But Aaron Jones is clearly the better player. It's just a question of how much they need him. Right, and and you know we're we're getting to that point in the season where you know the Packers probably need to start thinking about you know workload. Um, you know, keeping everybody fresh in, in time for the for the playoff run, and if they're yeah. comfortably ahead in this one, that, then I could I could definitely see that. But also worth mentioning that that Jones went off for 168 and, and two against Detroit on 18 carries um, the first time that they played earlier this season. So it might not even take that much for for Jones to still um, absolutely. It rarely count. does. Yeah, it's <laughs> usually it's usually like 14 carries and five catches and three touchdowns somehow. Yeah, pretty pretty freaking good player they got there uh aaron jones all right let's go football team versus the niners uh football team obviously a costly win in a sense on on monday against the steelers because that they um they lose antonio gibson to that toe injury maybe uh maybe that's just me being being salty because i have so much gibson especially in leagues where i'm still alive but that definitely stings going into this one um but either way we got the niners three point favorites in this one uh, i guess this one will be played in the in the neutral field out in arizona <laughs> yeah um i would take the 49ers to cover that because i i know they're not exactly in top shape right now but 
Washington sucks. Like the only reason <laughs> they won that game and the only reason they compete most weeks that they do is because there's a lot of bad play in the NFL right now. There's a lot of bad coaches. Like coaches like Ron Rivera, like I, I say things to the variations to this effect quite a bit, but it's like coaches like Ron Rivera are so useful to coaches like Mike McCarthy and vice versa because they both suck and they both make each other look alternatingly good and bad or, or like, you know, they give the illusion that like, man, these are just two really qualified guys and one guy wins sometimes and the other wins the other time. It's like, no, they're both terrible. They have no idea what they're doing. This is an atavistic just display of imbecilic like hatred of knowledge itself. Like Ron Rivera is such an ideologically like committed to to being dumb kind of guy that it's it's just disgusting to me and yet like occasionally you know they'll go against a quarterback as bad as ben roethlisberger who just can't you know it's because he's old and his his elbow is probably screwed up a little it's not like ben roethlisberger uh, at his peak form would have had something like last week happen but you know they a quarterback plays that bad and all of a sudden it's that quarterback is as bad as their quarterback and they have a shot now and the defense is good that you can't screw up the defense as, as much talent as they have which is Rivera's one um lucky detail here but the 49ers kind of have just a little bit more going i think because Shanahan it to to whatever extent the Washington defense is good and well managed i think Shanahan can dissect it and if Shanahan can, then the talent question with the Washington defense starts to matter less because however talented they are, they're not going to be able to succeed if they're they're basically every every single play is like a trick play against Shanahan. Basically, it's like they're just getting outsmarted left and right. Then it's not fair to, to expect them to play up to their normal level. So I think you can believe Nick Mullins is a terrible quarterback and the, the 49ers have these various questions about them and, and still think that. Shanahan alone is a reason why Washington can't realistically compete here. Okay. Yeah. I mean, a totally different story from, you know, the, the Josh Allen, Brian Dable, um, you know, situation on, on Monday night. Oh, totally. Up. Yeah. So very, very different this time around that that's not new information, of course, of course. Um, but yeah, that this definitely sets up, um, in, in the Niners favor where they, they might still be at a, at a bit of a talent disadvantage in, in some respects, but the coaching advantage, uh, swings, definitely in their favor enough to maybe overcome some of that disparity um so i I like their chances here um anything as far as like the specifics on guys like mostert brandon Ayuk, uh debo samuel going into this one against a tough washington d i don't know i feel like it's mostert time in the sense that every one of his big games blindsides me not in the sense that he's good like i've i've kind of always been a little bit of a mostert truther but when he has his biggest games, I am not prepared for it. And I, maybe maybe the fact that I looked at this game and didn't immediately think like Mostert time, maybe maybe that means it is in fact Mostert time, uh, especially after Debo had a big game two weeks ago and Ayuk had the big game last week. Like maybe, maybe it's Mostert time. Yes. I don't know. I'm but Jeff Wilson's been playing time. too and he's been playing well, I guess, to yes, be fair. Yes, he, he definitely has. Um, but I, I still think that, that Mostert is the best running back that they have, and, and you know he should be the one getting the most fed this time around. And then on the other side of this one, with, with the football team, assuming Gibson isn't able to go or, or certainly n- not be able to give— He's uh, out with a— oh. Okay, yeah. So uh, with that in mind, 
any optimism on McKissick or, or uh, I'm not going to ask you about Peyton Barber. So, so just uh, McKissick, what do you think? Don't even say his I'm name ever to. again I'm around sorry. me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think, um, I don't know. McLaurin is so good. He can have a big game no matter how bad the rest of his team is. And that's just never going to change, including in this case. Okay. All right. Good enough. Um, let's go Saints, Eagles, um, I'm glad this one isn't on national TV. We were supposed to start with this story, the big story of the week, John. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, I don't so, think it's going to go well for Jalen Hurts. I don't think it's you. fair to put him in this position in the first place with coaches like these. It's like, who drafts a quarterback to play a scheme that the team does not? You know, like, is it... Is it really going to be possible for a team that practices the Carson Wentz scheme all summer, all or you know not all summer, but all training camp as far as it existed anyway, and up to this point in the season? Like, do we really think they can just go like flip the switch to the Lincoln Riley offense and and go from there uh, to accommodate Jalen Hurts? Like, no, they're going to call the Carson Wentz offense, which he can't run, or they're going to call a, a mangled version of something that accommodates yeah, Jalen Hurts. Yeah, similar to like Marty Morningwig's approach yes. with, with Lamar Jackson a couple exactly years ago. Exactly the same thing. Yeah. Exactly the same thing. So, uh, yeah, I I think Jalen Hurts has a shot in the NFL. I'm not exactly optimistic for it. To, like, I, I think he is inaccurate, point yes. blank. I don't think he has any accuracy really. But I think he at times shows the ability to see the field well to the point that if he is aware of his own inaccuracy, he can basically factor it in and, and strategize around it. And when you have the running ability, the athletic ability that he has, his general knack for playmaking, you can destabilize a defense and start creating these opportunities for him to to make plays as a passer. Not the same way as Josh Allen, because Josh Allen, it's like you you leverage his arm strength to threaten vertically. For Hurts, for Hertz, it has to be more like the Lamar Jackson kind of principle, where it's like you got to establish that run threat to get the safety teetering forward. And if the if the safety is too close, and if he's thinking running back too much, or if he's thinking run too much, then that's when Jalen Hurts is just accurate enough to make the throw. But you have to establish these threats, and you have to competently arrange them. And I don't think any of those are true in this case for the Eagles. No, and and so that that not only you know it bodes ill for the Eagles overall, but like for fantasy, you know it, it hurts the the outlooks for guys like Travis Fulgham. Jalen Rager, yeah. Dallas Goddard, like everybody, just because I think that I think we might see the Eagles throw it like under twenty five times, almost certainly under twenty five times, maybe twenty. I, I'm, I'll be interested to see what what his attempts prop looks like over the weekend when it comes to they Jalen might Hurts. Bench Hurts in the game. It, at this stage, the Eagles are that um, just screwed up enough to where that they, they would cause this giant upheaval in, in benching their their franchise quarterback whose extension has not even kicked in yet um for <laughs> as, uh, yeah just wanted, needed needed to uh establish that on the air but uh for a guy that they already kind of just knowingly undermined Wentz like what Wentz I'm not the biggest Wentz guy in the world but it, I feel like his story in Philadelphia was doomed the second that that yeah. Nick Foles won the Super Bowl for them like he was always just going to be like fighting to to you know, lay claim to it in, in some way or another. And it's just, he's doing too much. We've talked about that as far as this year is concerned on, on the podcast and the, the draft decision. Uh, I think it was like more of a blow to his ego than, than like the Jordan love one was to Aaron Rodgers because I think that right. Wentz doesn't have that. Wentz isn't arrogant enough to not care. Yes. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's a sensitive small boy and uh, he, he, he had his, 
he feelings hurt and his focus disrupted and I'm, I'm kind of joking but it's true and he you know he maybe he's delicate but he can do some things as a quarterback like we've seen him do it and uh if he is delicate and if that is the reason why we're here then it's just that much more the fault of the eagles management for not handling him delicately so uh yeah it's 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 embarrassing it's unfortunate for uh, Wentz certainly. Uh, it's unfortunate for Hertz that he like they and by cursing Wentz the particular way that they did, they threatened to kind of doom the career of Hertz too by bringing him in as like the unserious uh, solution. And then once the solution doesn't work, people resent that and they they remember like, oh that guy sucks, uh, and they 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 feel bitter toward him and don't want to give him an opportunity. Like that's a risk here too. Um, like, I don't think Kurtz is a great prospect. He, he definitely isn't a great prospect, but he deserves a better shot than this. And I'm, I'm worried that they're between unfair expectations and not accommodating him and asking him to run an offense that no one would have ever expected. Even his proponents wouldn't have said, yeah, just plug him into the Wentz offense. That'll work. Like, that's not what they believed. They believed, like, yeah, you're going to have to set up a Lamar kind of thing where you leverage the running threat to create a passing threat. And, uh, yeah, I'm worried about just everybody coming out a loser here. But as far as the Saints in this game, they'll probably be fine. I am a little worried about Taysom Hill really crashing, but he didn't last week. It looked early like he might, but he didn't. And, uh, yeah, the Saints defense is really good, so there won't be too much pressure on Taysom Hill, in my opinion. So they should be fine, but I don't really want to go after the fantasy prospects of anyone in this game. Hurts, by the way, is bad for everybody on the Eagles' offense. Yep. Like He might make the Eagles' offense better, but he's taking usage on the ground that could be targets to anybody else, uh, that could be carries to anybody else, and they are just not available anymore. Yeah, so it, it's going to be yeah a mess as far as you know what what your Eagles uh, players on your roster uh, look like. Um, I, I did a, a radio segment with with a friend in Philadelphia last night, and and you know he asked me like who are the Eagles taking at quarterback in the top ten for, uh, this spring? So I mean it, it, the the vibe in Philly is it's all off. It's it's. Wild. I think it's more likely that they go back to Wentz next year than go with Hertz next year. I I wish casted uh, Zach Wilson, but I I really have no insight as to as to what the Eagles are, are planning to do because I don't think the Eagles either have. Insight I really think to. yeah I don't think they know yet. I don't think it's going to be the same people making this decision that sure, we're talking about. Sure. But I think it's in the nature of NFL people to look at Wentz in even before looking at his contract, but especially after looking at his contract. I think they'll rationalize it. <sighs> You're probably right. All right, let's go. We got a couple more. We got Falcons Chargers. Chargers, two and a half point home dogs. I like them in a bounce back, I guess, against the the Falcons. I I don't like the Falcons on the road. I know the Chargers just got completely pantsed, but that was by the Patriots. I'll, yeah, I'll kind of. Herbert give was them not seeing anything. No. Herbert may as well have been blindfolded with with trying to figure out those coverages. Whereas like the Falcons. They could get clever all of a sudden, but it would be all of a sudden, and <laughs> I don't really like the chances. I think, and I think Herbert is good. I don't think like, oh, the Patriots showed how to beat Herbert. It's like, yeah, they, they showed how to beat any rookie quarterback, which is like call coverages that he's never seen in his life and can't possibly figure out in 15 minutes in the middle of a football stadium. You know, it's it's just he can't come back in that game, but he can come back. Like he can adjust in practice and stuff like that, and I think he will. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. So, so um, you know, look for the bounce pack here. As far as Herbert Day, Eckler Day, okay. Allen Day, why not Mike Williams? He's why not good, good enough for me. All right, let's go Steelers Bills. Uh, Steelers two and a half point dogs on the road. 
these two teams met on a Sunday night this time last year, but uh, I think we were treated to a Duck Hodges game. <laughs> so, so this one should be better. I, I look forward to this one. Actually, um, we got the, yeah, again uh, Bills two and a half point uh, favorites at home in this one. That this is a big opportunity for them. The Steelers, you know, showed that they could bleed last last week with, with uh, suffering their first loss of the season. What do you see here? I don't know. It's tough because I don't expect the Steelers to play as poorly. I think they'll definitely be better, including Roethlisberger will play better for his own part. But I don't know if the results will be any better for Roethlisberger because I think the Buffalo defense is a much tougher task than the Washington one, even if the Washington one is relatively tough. Because I just don't imagine any scenario where Sean McDermott is caught by surprise here. I feel like he's he's not infallible as a coach or anything, but I think he's about as good as it gets as far as defensive coaches go. And I think he'll have a pretty good idea of what he's facing here. And I also think that Ben Roethlisberger plays into exactly the kind of defense that McDermott has built, which is to say, I think it's the best way to hurt the bills defense is over the top because they try to do this kind of money ball thing at one corner spot where they got Levi Wallace who runs like a four, six, three and he's skinny as hell. And then they got Tredavious white doing the shadow cover corner thing. And they, they, they are like, well, we got two good versatile safeties and Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. Both of them are former corners so they can kind of assist in slot coverage, things like that. Make sure Levi has some help, but when you want to beat them, I feel like you want to get Levi turning and running and you want to get a big receiver on Tredavious White in single coverage going downfield like a Galladay kind of person who can just box him out uh, in single coverage because they have to leave him in single coverage to give Levi Wallace help over the top. And if they don't, if they do it any other way, it's like Levi Wallace just can't cover whoever's on him. So I feel like Levi Wallace, though, playing underneath sitting on those stupid Deontay Johnson curl routes <laughs> that they just throw 50 times a game now knock yourself out man that's gonna go great against the bills defense like he, i think deontay johnson is a good receiver to be clear like i think he's a, a, a solid wide receiver two and a really good wide receiver three and ben roethlisberger is so incapable of throwing anywhere else on the field but outside and underneath that he is dependent on deontay johnson for these throws and some of them have worked like he's made plays this year but it's like the ones that he makes are so often really dangerous throws like i'm specifically thinking of that tennessee game where uh that Kareem or what was it uh Ty Smith was in coverage on the the touchdown on the left side of the field and there was a safety there who was closing in at Vicaro I think and and like they both missed the ball a little bit and the ball barely gets through you know like the Star Wars the door closing Millennium Falcon that's how the ball gets to Deontay Johnson and he never got open on the play he never did anything except catch a ball that was nearly intercepted and the PPR boys, the the Air Yards boys, they're all like, oh, my God, he's elite. <laughs> no, he's not. And this is the perfect game for you to learn how this actually works. OK. All right. Now, now I have like a specific matchup in this one to, to uh, isolate my focus on as well. So looking forward to this one. Um, anything else to add to this game before before we move on? Uh I think Josh Allen has another good one here. It's a little riskier, but I, I think the Steelers have a lot of the same weaknesses as the 49ers. Not many, but it's just like the, the Bills are the team that they don't want to see. Okay. All right. So that, that'll be a, a really fun one on Sunday night. We got another one on Monday night that, that has some AFC playoff implications. The Ravens, I'm, I'm seeing them as one-point favorites on the road here, and I know that they, they handled the Browns pretty nicely in the season opener, but 
I like the Browns straight up in this one, man. The Browns are just playing, I think, outside of the Chiefs, teams that you wouldn't want to play in the AFC right now, the Browns are right there with the Bills. Yeah, I mean, they're they're on a good roll right now, and they have they have certain good of their team, just unconditional good things going for them, which is most obviously, I think, the running game and the defensive line. But they don't have Denzel Ward, or at least I don't think he can be back yet for this one. And those corners are bad. I don't think Stefanski is that good of a coach. I think he's. I think Stefanski is kind of like the current day Doug Peterson at his peak, which, which is to say, like there are enough dumb coaches in this NFL that you can be a coach who should be no better than average in a competitive league. And yet he's like top 10 just because he's a non imbecile, but he still does some really stupid things. And I wouldn't be surprised if he, if it catches up with him at some point, like Stefanski still can't tell that Richard Higgins is better than Hodge. Like they, he, he inherited Freddie Kitchens depth chart and then did not change it. That's insane. Freddie Kitchens was in a personal feud with Richard Higgins. That's why he was on the bench behind Kaderil Hodge. And then it takes Richard Higgins having that game last week and all of a sudden he's like, whoa, he's better than Kaderil. The guy who was like winning the Bolitnikov as a redshirt freshman in college is better than Kaderil Hodge who had like 800 yards at what, – what even is – is that that, that southeastern – a and M or, or Prairie View or something like that. Like it's, it's just ridiculous. He runs like a four six and he's skinny. Like this is not serious. This is, like, if you have any ability to evaluate talent, Kaderil Hodge doesn't play a single snap for your team. So I'm worried about that. I'm worried about how he uses Austin Hooper the precisely backwards way that he should. I'm I'm worried about those things catching up uh, by chance, even in a league where so many coaches are fools. And I don't particularly think the Ravens are one of the teams that, that are that are most likely to be nice to a coach like Stefanski. But uh, yeah, the Ravens are are ugly lately, so you don't want to you don't want to just assume that the that the Browns like blow it here, especially with with the defensive line that they have, uh, especially with Chubb and that running game that they have. So I I think that's. Uh, the basic problem is like Baker Mayfield had a perfect game last week and it's not easy to recreate those conditions. It's impossible to create those conditions against the Ravens. So Baker Mayfield needs to become actually good, which he hasn't been for two years or the Ravens have to kind of just blow it, which is possible, but I don't really want to bet on it. So um, I don't, I don't know where the production could be in this game. I'm not that optimistic about Chubb having one of his crazy I would. I mean, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I I believe in Chubb. I think he sure. can do it. It's just like I am not. If I'm the Ravens, I am not respecting Mayfield at all. I don't care about last week. I'm like, go ahead, try it again. But I'm selling out against the run. Okay, it's just I didn't even think that the Ravens' corners played particularly well Monday against That's Andy Dalton. I mean, they're they're having a rough time too. Everybody's struggling on that team, but uh, I just think Mayfield is is um he's not bad. But when he's playing when he well, play- he's really good. It's just he's so in, he can be so inconsistent and he can get stuck in ruts for extended yeah, periods. Maybe, maybe he's shaking off the yips that he got into last year. I don't know. I he, He's difficult for me to figure out, but I, I basically think he's Jake Delhomme or something like that. And That's pretty cool. if you're Jake Delhomme, you need Mushin Muhammad and Steve Smith to make amazing catches for you or else you're just the backup on the Saints. Hmm. All right. Well, um, no, that's it. All right, you're kind of throwing me for a loop with that comp. It's like, but I I'm, don't get me I'm wrong. I still think it. it's going to be ugly either way, even if the Ravens win, because I I don't think they've figured much out. I I just, you know, maybe it it's my my personal 
stuff bleeding in here, but I just I, the way that the Ravens are playing versus how the Browns have been going of late, and I know that the Browns eked one out against the Jags a couple weeks ago, and Mayfield had that that like kind of viral miss in the end zone and, and all that, but. I feel like this is this is like a, a real statement for what are they the eight and three Cleveland Browns now? To, they're uh, nine and three. Nine and three. And yeah, I mean, they're, smokes. So I like I, Chubb in that defensive line mm-hmm. is a lot to worry about as a mm-hmm. team. But uh, I just I just don't know what else the Browns have going for them at all. But uh, that that might be true. But like I don't know what the Ravens really have going for them either at this stage. Well, I think Lamar is still Lamar. I think it's like they could have been a lot worse than they've looked if it weren't for him. Uh, kind of keeping it taped together. Uh, but I, I also think Marquise Brown has been working through the yips, and I think the, the last two weeks are more like what we can expect from him than the prior six weeks. So we'll see. It, it, I'm not putting money on this game, to be totally transparent. It's just I don't want to pick the Browns to win because I think they're a fake 9-3 and three team. I think they're an 8-8 eight and eight team. Interesting. Okay. All right. I I will respectfully disagree on this one, but I, I could of course be be way off as well. But I, I think that this this could be a, a Cleveland arrival game. Could and, be, yeah, yeah. So. I, well, well, you got me on the Chubb part. Obviously, I'm I'm prepared in that sense. Okay, all right, that that's good enough for me. All right, let's get round it out for today's episode of the RotoWire NFL podcast. Make sure you download and subscribe tomorrow's episode with Andrew Laird and Scott Genstad. They're going to get into the DFS portion of this weekend. So make sure you uh, tune in for that one. But for Mario Puig, I'm John McCagney. Thanks for listening to the Roadwire NFL Podcast. happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com